You may wish to adjust the dial you're currently tuned into. The wrong station. I shall tell you now of the lay of Taladin and Ephem, according to how it was written down. And if any fault be found therein, then on the mercy of God I do swear the omission be not mine, for I am but a faithful reader of what has been written. In the country of Terivaz lived a lord named Emont, whose wife Rosalind was more beautiful than any woman living at that time, and by him she bore a daughter named Isablet and a son named Taladin, who was much beloved by both, and grew into a young man strong and wise. When the boy came of age, Amont dressed him in armor of unbreakable glass and a velvet cloak, and girdled him with a mace spite with the beaks of birds who lived beyond the sunset. And so the young man went to Flanders, where no shortage of war has ever in the world's history been found, and sought to find himself renowned. Many ladies made advances on him, but he rejected their love, having set his heart on Blanche Etoile, the daughter of the Duke of Burgundy, whose station was high above his own. No matter his victories in the stag hunt, or what garlands wreathed him after a tournament, yet she would not even look down upon him from the stands. And no matter what enemy keep he stormed, or what lively town he burned, yet she refused to know his name. At that time, emissaries arrived in Flanders from the Emperor of Greece, whose wars against the pagans had cost the lives of four hundred thousand knights. And upon greeting the emissary, Talodine went to the base of the tower where Blanche Etoile combed her hair by starlight, and lying down on the grass professed his love to her. My lady, said he, if you do not love me, I shall go to the wars in Greece and surely be destroyed upon the pagans' lance. But she replied only, Sir, I do not know you. And so Taladin locked himself away for three days and did not eat or drink or sleep, but only wept to be so unloved. And on the morning of the fourth day he rode out in his armor made of glass, and with twenty knights went down to the harbor and found the emissary's ship. And so extravagant was the wealth of the kingdom of the Greeks in those days that this great hawk was carven of a single piece of ebon, and rigged with purple satin sails, and riggings weaved from solid gold. And in three days only, I what I know not how, but in three days only this ebon ship bore them all the way to distant Constantinople. At this time the great city was besieged, and the emir of Babylon had brought with him an army of thirty million men. 
Their pavilions spread as far as the white horizon, and those inside the city were sore oppressed. Yet when the purple-sailed ship winged down into the harbor, the emperor of the Greeks lifted his chin from his hand, and hope came into his eyes for the first time in many months, for the renown of the knights of Terevaz had reached his court. When he arrived at the palace, Taladin was greeted with every courtesy, and fed on fruits unheard of in the rainy west, and the wine which poured so freely was gold as the splendor of the pillars of the court. Each pillar in that hall was thrice the girth of the widest tree in all of Europe, and twice the tallest height, and made from pure and glowing gold, and set with gems of amethyst and purple garnet larger than an ostrich egg. By my troth, said Taladin, you do me much honor, my lord. By my troth, said the Emperor of Greece, if thou takest command of mine army and bringst destruction on the emirate of Babylon, then I shall reward you one hundred times beyond your wildest imagination. But Taladin barely heard him as he spoke, for at this very moment the Empress of the Greeks was carried out upon a palanquin with wheels of gold, and though the Emperor was an old and feeble man, yet his wife was young and lovely as so often is the case, and so radiant was her beauty that the charms of Blanche Etoile were all forgotten, and Taladin knew at that moment he must have the Empress's love, or he would surely die. For she was dressed in gold and purple gems, and behind her spread a vast fan of feathers from an unknown bird, like unto a peacock's, only purple-dark as bitter ink. And though the blasphemy was his, not mine, Yet I hesitate to say what he thought at that moment, which was that she must be one of the endless host who chant hosannas endlessly on high. And turning to the emperor of Greece, he said, My lord, by my oath, I will lead your armies and I will smash the hosts of heathendom before your gates, and I will ask only one thing in return. And the king said, Name it, my son. But Taladin said, I shall name it later, when the task is done. That very night he donned his armor made of glass and hefted his mace of the beaks of birds from beyond the sunset's edge, and gathering the armies of the Greeks he led them out through the gates on a sortie, and that very night he crossed swords with the pagan general Aramathses and broke the casket of his skull and left him shattered on the battlefield and by the time he returned to the gates that morning six hundred thousand of the pagan dead lay below the walls of Constantinople, and of his own number only three hundred had died. And he returned, covered in gore to the hall of golden pillars, and the emperor of Constantinople was most pleased, and the empress of Constantinople, the one unguarded heartbeat, cast a gaze of consideration upon him, and that night Taladin slept with a smile upon his face, and dreamt he shared the Empress's affections on a bed of purple satin sheets. And then on the second night the Greeks sallied forth again, and four of the knights of Terevaz were slain by the heathen duke Goravathus, who was a giant standing twelve feet tall, who came from the lands beyond Sakia and ate only the flesh of men and horses, raw and mingled both together. And enraged at the loss of his men, Taladin broke the giant's left leg with a single blow, and with one blow broke his right leg, and with a third blow made birds from beyond the sunset sing within the bloody pieces of the giant's skull. 
And that night, nine hundred thousand died at Gorvathus's side, and only ninety at Teledin's. And from her golden tower the Empress looked down, and unlike Blanche Etoile, took notice of the matchless chivalry of Taladin. And Taladin saw her looking down upon him, and that night he sat enthroned beside her, and all the realm of Constantinople was at their feet. And then, on the third night, the army of the Emperor of Greece sallied out a final time, and this time Prince Hecubitas of Babylon, the emir's son himself, came down to match his strength against the Christian knight, and for six hours they smote at one another, until the unbreakable glass was worn away to powder, and Hecubitas's habergeon of bassless skin was torn to shreds, and both men had lost enough blood to fill the cisterns of Babylon and Constantinople both. And then, as the sun rose, the mace of bird beaks broke, and Hecubitas's blade of serpent's teeth was shattered, and Taladin seized the paynim by his ear and jaw, and tore the skull from his body. And at that moment the pagan host was broken, and the army of the Greeks victorious at last. The emir sued for peace, asking only the head of his son as condition for surrender. It was granted. Of more than three million men who came to Constantinople, only seventy survived to see their wives and sons again. Upon his return in glory, Taladin was welcomed with great splendor, and the emperor himself embraced him as a son. Now, Taladin, he said, you can ask your one reward. But Taladin, knowing how dangerous it was to ask the king the thing he truly wanted, said only, my lord, permit me to serve you for one year, and then I will ask it. How could any lord refuse so mild an offer as that? He assented to it. How else? And so his fate was sealed. Now, Ephem, that is, the empress, was wounded with the pangs of love for Taladin, and whoever does not know the feeling, may God count them lucky, and may God pity them also, for their life has been spared all that is most miserable and most pleasurable. All night she lay awake and sighed, and so much did she toss, and so much did she turn, that her golden sheets were torn and melted from the heat, and ran down the stair in a golden torrent. And so Ephem's maid knew that she was in the torments of love. And Taladin, who had been made the Count of Pronoia and gifted an estate just across the water, was no less tormented. He so tossed and turned and groaned in his sleep that the fine linen of his bedding was shredded and fell to the floor in such fine scraps that upon the morning flax had begun to sprout from the tiles. And so the knight who was his chamberlain knew that he was in the torments of love. And that night, when the two lovers slept at last, they dreamed the same dream, that they flew on purple angels' wings above the rich land, and that they made love as eagles do, spiraling down toward the earth, which was theirs. Now the emperor had been cuckolded by three wives, and each one he had fed to his horses in the great stadium of Constantinople, before a crowd of five million, and to prevent such a disgrace from happening again, he had constructed a tower of gold in the middle of the strait, which could be reached only by a small boat, and which was guarded by sixty eunuchs of Cambulac, all of whom had been trained to kill men with a halberd from the age of two years old. And though it seemed there was no way for Ephem to get out, or for Taladin to get in, 
So great was the love borne for her lady by Ephem's maid that she spent all her days on the terrace, trying to think of a way out. And so great was the love borne for his lord by Taladin's chamberlain that he spent all his days in a small boat on the sound, trying to think of a way in. And when the eunuchs asked her, What are you looking for? The maid lied and told them, I am looking for the knight whom I love. And when the eunuchs saw him out on his boat, they challenged him, asking, Who goes there? And he lied to them, saying, I am looking for the lady-in-waiting, whom I love. And the eunuchs, remembering what life had been like when they still possessed their lower members, were touched by what they thought was the plight of these two lovers, and having no responsibility toward the chastity of their lady's maid, they allowed her to exchange quiet words from time to time. And then, as the months passed, it allowed her to leave with him in the boat from time to time, and then to return. And so, while taking their own pleasures, the maid and chamberlain concocted a plan to allow their lord and lady to meet. One night, the chamberlain approached Taladin and commanded him, not as a servant would, to change clothes with him. And surprised, but trusting him, Taladin did as he was bidden. That same night, too, the maid approached Ephem and bade her switch clothes and descend to the terrace. Ephem did not know why until she saw Taladin waiting in a boat below her, dressed not in the finery of the Count of Pronoia, but as a common knight chamberlain. O lady in waiting, he said, I have come to collect you. O Sir Chamberlain, she replied, I have waited too long. And the eunuchs, not realizing they were in that same moment failing their trust, only chuckled and winked to see the couple go. In this way, Taladin and Ephem became true lovers, and in that brief time knew what ecstasies only true lovers can ever understand. Very soon the end of the first year came, and with it Taladin's appointment to ask the emperor his boon. I will ask him for you, Taladin said. He will kill you for asking replied Ephem. Then let us flee together, in this boat, tonight, away to Teravaz where he will never find us. But she looked out at the city that was hers, at the basilica of holy wisdom blushing in the sunset, at the nine palaces, hundred towers, and thousand churches, and she told him, It would be a disgrace for me, a married woman, to live like that in public concubinage. And then she paused, and thought for a moment, and smiled, and spoke the thought that was truly on her mind. And more besides, fair Taladin, I think it is a shame for this rich land to be ruled by an old cuckold. Then what do you propose? She said, we must kill him. And now he too looked out at the city that could be his, at the street of silversmiths and of coppersmiths, at the great forest of masts in the Prosphorian harbor, at the mighty castle of Galata, but how, he asked, when his food is tasted and no weapons are permitted in his presence? That is simple. I will invite him here and prepare a bath, which I will heat to scalding. When he climbs into it, he will die, and when the water cools, it will look like he has died naturally. Then I shall rule as empress, and you will be my consort. But Taladin said, It is unnatural for a woman to rule. We shall marry and you will remain empress while I rule as emperor. But Ephem told him, It is the custom in this land that a woman may rule, but never a barbarian usurper. Well, said Taladin, we shall see. Indeed, said Ephem, 
we shall. And from that moment their causes were never aligned again. Before the day arrived that they had agreed upon for their crime, Taladin came again to Ifem and said, I am worried our plan may fail. What if the bath does not kill him, and he tries to kill you? I should be there, in case. But how shall we bring you past the eunuchs? I will change clothes with your maid. You would humiliate yourself like this, said Ifem. Men have done worse things for love, he told her. So it was decided. One night before Taladin had been in Constantinople for a year, Ifem summoned the emperor to her bower. He came across the sound in a small boat, a purple cloak rippling about his bony frame. And Ifem, radiant as purple gold, stood at the terrace of the golden tower to meet him. Come up, my lord. She welcomed him. My maid is preparing two baths for us. And the emperor was delighted she would be removing her clothes before him, for he had seldom known her body. But on the stairs to her chamber, she stopped and in a low voice said, My lord, a man has entered my tower and will attempt to kill you in your bath. Do not call the eunuchs, for he has my maid a captive and will kill her if the alarm sounds. You must be the one to kill him. I will point you to the curtain he hides behind, and you will stab him with your sword. And she told him this because though she still felt love for Taladin, she did not wish to share power with him. And the emperor said, My lady, I will protect you. Into the golden chamber they came, with a view on every side of the black strait of Constantinople, the golden shimmer of the city. And along one wall there hung a curtain, woven with the purple figure of an angel. It was a fine tapestry, and very ancient, one of the great treasures of Constantinople, which was itself no more a city than a treasure house. Wise men claimed this purple heiress was older than the days of Moses, that the Medes had pillaged it from ancient Babylon, and Alexander brought it back from Persepolis itself. On this cloth, the great angel spread out its hands over temples and ziggurats of the long-lost world, and the shadow of its purple wings spread over the people of all nations. But the angel's face had long since worn away, and was now blank. It was behind this great dark figure with the empty face that Taladin had hidden himself. Fear not, my lord, Ifem said loudly as the emperor stepped slowly to the curtain. Your bath has had time enough to cool. With a single movement the old man drew his sword and thrust it through the angel's heart. Purple blood flowed suddenly through the cloth, and then behind it Taladin fell dead to the marble floor. Taladin, exclaimed the emperor, I never thought he would betray me thus, yet it goes ill for a king to red his hands with the blood of so fine a vassal. Then wash it off quickly, my lord, she told him, leap into the bath, which is ready for you. He did just as she recommended, and instantly was dead. Ephem laughed. A wind from the strait rippled in the hanging of the purple angel. Then she too disrobed, showing her nakedness a final time to the dead men before she slipped into the second bath. And no less instantly than her husband, she was dead. For Taladin, in his maid's disguise, had no more wish to share power than she, and so had boiled both baths. Thus they died together 
Taladin and Ifem and the Emperor, all three, and let anyone willing to listen take caution from this tale. All this happened just as I have described. The scribes then copied down the events, and from their words I have composed this lay, to tell you about the deaths of Taladin and Ifem, who loved each other dearly, for a brief time. After they lay still, another wind blew through. The tapestry rippled, and a strange thing happened, though no one was there to see it. From the ancient heiress, that angel figure stepped forth, pulling itself from the cloth. For a long, long time it stood among their bodies, looking. Then, touching two fingers to the bloody sword wound over its own heart, it bent over each body, anointing each cold brow with purple blood. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Visit today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. This week's episode, Talodine and Defend, was written by Alexander Saxton performed by Anthony Batello. Thank you to Dr. Powers, Ph.D., Philip Miracle, Rachel, Jason Harmon, Sarah Wright, Moses Carter, Chris, Stephanie Leahy, Punchington, TTT, Aston Bentley, Kira Hall, Dan Regalado, Sarah H., Meeps Marie, Juniper, Scrame, Stefan Schlachtenhaufen, Catherine Mazur, Ian Baudreau, Aaron Grachowski, Brad, and Brian Scalick for helping us keep the lights, well, off. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed by Alain Citron, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>